السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك لعبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Welcome to another episode of our tafsir page by page and inshallah ta'ala today we are upon or on the first page of Surah Al-Imran, which is page number 50 of the Qur'an. Surah Al-Imran is the third chapter of the Qur'an, and it is the second longest chapter of the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Surah Al-Imran is a surah that is mentioned in a number of hadith uh, in the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and it's a surah which a number of times is mentioned alongside the surah which precedes it, the surah which we just finished the tafsir of Surah Al-Baqarah. So one of those hadith that we mentioned before, and I'll repeat here again uh, for the purposes of today's lesson, is the statement of the Prophet ﷺ that these two surahs, meaning Al-Baqarah and Al-Imran, will come on the day of judgment like, a, a, like two flocks of birds or like two clouds that will give shade to its people on the day of judgment. That is because these two surahs are extremely important. The lessons that they bring as we will see and as we've seen already from Surah Al-Baqarah, the lessons that they bring, the principles that they give to the Muslim, the benefits that we can derive from these two surahs is amazing. They are essentially the blueprint of a Muslim. Surah Al-Baqarah, as we said, speaks a lot about the internal belief system of the believer, the way that a person should be in terms of their submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their obedience to Allah azza wa jal, their acceptance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa how that should manifest itself within our internal self and amongst ourselves in terms of the Muslim community, our families, the members of our neighborhoods and so on. Surah Al-Imran is about the outer uh, or the outer manifestation of that submission, the way that then works with wider society. And that is why this surah, as we will see, is the surah in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the battle of Uhud, for example, and a number of other incidents and also concerning uh, the stories and, and incidents that took place between the Prophet and the people of the previous scriptures. So Surah Al-Imran is an extremely important surah, a surah that we should recite, that we should memorize, that we should study, that we should sit back and contemplate its verses and reflect over the meanings of these words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we begin as Allah does in Surah Al-Imran, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألف لام الله لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم الله سبحانه وتعالى begins this surah also with these three letters ألف لام ميم and then Allah عز وجل says in verse number two Allah there is no god besides him the ever living the ever watchful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as he does in Ayat al-Kursi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins this surah, Surah Al-Imran, with the statement which is the opening part of Ayat al-Kursi. And that is that Allah says that he is Allah, none has the right to be worshipped except him. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions these two names of his. And these two names we discussed before when we were going through the tafsir of Ayat al-Kursi in the previous surah, Surah Al-Baqarah. 
And that is that these two names, as some of the scholars mention, are the names that every other name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes back to. The first of these names is that Allah is Al-Hayy, the ever-living. And in order for us to accept that someone is worthy of all worship, worthy of our submission, worthy of our, our worship and our gratitude and everything else, that being has to be ever-living. Has to be ever-living. Because if he, t- if he is not ever-living, then that shows that there is an inherent weakness within that God or within that being. So someone that dies, someone that becomes sick, someone that becomes infirm due to old age, those are signs of weaknesses that are inherent of the creation, not of the creator subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when Allah Azza wa says that he is al-hay, he is ever-living, meaning therefore if he is ever-living, then every other attribute of perfection, of strength, of completeness comes from that fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ever-living, that he will never die. And then the second of those names is the name of Allah Azza wa al-Qayyum, which here in my translation is translated as ever-watchful, but I think a better translation is the one who is self-sufficient and sustains everything else. Al-Qayyum is the one who needs nothing. He is self-sufficient. Doesn't need help, doesn't need assistance, doesn't need food, doesn't need drink, doesn't need company, doesn't need anything subhanahu wa ta'ala. But at the same time, he is the one who suffices everything else. Everything else is in need of Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in need of no one or anything. And so therefore Allah Azza wa Jal is Al-Qayyum. And so Al-Qayyum is the one who controls everything in the heavens and the earth. The one who sustains everything in the heavens and the earth. The one that suffices everything in the heavens and the earth. And at the same time, he himself subhanahu wa ta'ala is in no need of anything else. Jalla fi ula. So Allah Azza wa Jal begins this surah in this way. Because if we're going to manifest our religion openly in terms of the societies that we live in, the communities that we reside in, the jobs that we have, the places of education that we attend, all of the different ways that we interact with larger society, then you must have a level of confidence, a level of iman, a level of pride in your religion, in your belief, in your messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, in the book that you have, the divine revelation, the Quran, you must have a level of confidence and pride within it in order to be able to go and manifest that openly. Someone who is too embarrassed, someone who is too shy, someone who thinks that it's something which, which belittles them and their status in society won't be able to go and openly manifest their beliefs and be proud of them. And so if you know that Allah is the one that is ever living, the one that is self-sufficing and suffices everything else in this universe, then what possible reason do you have not to go forth and be proud of the religion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave to you. Not to go forth and be humble and thankful of the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose this way of life for you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues in verse 3 and he says, نَزَّلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ وَأَنزَلَ التَّوْرَاتَ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ Step by step, he sent down the scripture to you, meaning the Prophet ﷺ with the truth, confirming what went before. He sent down the Torah and the Gospel as well. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that everything that you find within the book, the Quran, is something which Allah had already sent down in terms of the general message that Allah sent to each and every single prophets and messengers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed that also in the previous scriptures of the Torah and the Gospel. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the Quran as a, te- as a testimony, as a witness, 
as something which shows to us the path that leads us to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What is going to give us and grant us success in this life and salvation in the next. And so the believer takes the Qur'an as their blueprint. And again, Allah as He does at the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah, where as we said, Surah Al-Baqarah begins by mentioning the Qur'an. This is the book in which there is no doubt, a guidance for the piety, the pious. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins Surah Al-Imran in much the same way. نَزَّلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ Allah has caused the Qur'an to be revealed to you step by step and he has sent it down confirming what came before. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is therefore telling us that the way that we should live our lives, our, if you like, our manifesto or our curriculum or our life, uh, the, the, the blueprint that we have for our life, it is found in the revelation of the Qur'an, the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Qur'an contains all of the guidance, all of the mercy, all of the light that you need in order to find success in this life and in the next. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore tells us, as if he's saying to us subhanahu wa ta'ala, that everything that you need in order to live a life, a life that is fruitful, successful, a life that is beneficial, a life in which you benefit yourselves and those around you, you will find that message in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Azza wa Jalla in verse number four, he continues and he says, مِن قَبْلُ هُدًا لِلنَّاسِ وَأَنزَلَ الْفُرْقَانِ إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ لَهُمْ عَذَابٌ شَدِيدٌ وَاللَّهُ عَزِيزٌ ذُو انْتِقَامٌ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the previous verse, he said that he sent down also the gospel and the Torah. He says that he sent them down earlier as a guide for people and he also sent down the furqan. The furqan is something which makes a distinction. It is something which distinguishes between right and wrong, between truth and between falsehood. Allah says, But those who deny Allah's revelations will suffer severe torment. For indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is almighty and capable of retribution. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us therefore that this Qur'an and every revelation that Allah sent to the people before the Qur'an, but because it was later, as we know, manipulated, changed, distorted, those revelations are no longer in their pristine original uh, original form that Allah sent them down as, with the exception of the Qur'an because Allah has preserved it until Yawm Al-Qiyamah. But all of these revelations, they contain guidance. Min qablu nas. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down all of these scriptures as a guidance for their people, that the people would read them, they would analyze them, they would study them, they would they would uh, they would reflect over them and contemplate them, and through them they would find guidance to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. وَأَنزَلَ الْفُرْقَانَ from the names of the book of Allah Azza wa Jal, the Quran, is that it is Furqan. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. We have a surah that is named after Al Furqan, Surah Al Furqan, in which Allah Azza wa Jal begins by saying, "Tabaraka Ladi Nazzal Al Furqan Ala Abdi." Blessed is the one who revealed the Furqan to his servant, meaning the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The Furqan, as we said, is something which distinguishes between right and wrong, between truth and falsehood. And that distinguishing factor is something which you find in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it tells us the path towards Jannah and it also makes clear for us the path towards the fire. And that is why the name or the title that was given to the famous illustrious companion Umar ibn Khattab comes from the same root word. He was known as Al-Faruq, the one who distinguished between right and wrong. And Al-Faruq and Al-Furqan have the same root word in the Arabic language. 
And so the meaning is essentially the same. And so that is someone who distinguishes between right and wrong, or in terms of the name of the Quran, Al-Furqan, the distinguisher between the or the distinction between right and wrong. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah, but those who deny Allah's words, Allah's revelations, Allah's verses, for them there will be a severe torment. Allah has given to us guidance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made clear the path and the way, and people still reject and they turn away. That is something then for that Allah Azza wa Jal will punish them for. Wallahu Azizun Duntiqam. And Allah is almighty, all powerful, capable of retribution. And that is from the perfection of Allah Azza wa Jal and his full might and ability subhanahu wa ta'ala that he can take retribution if and when he so pleases subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so often in the Quran, as we know, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions to us names of mercy names of forgiveness, names of kindness and gentleness that belong to Allah Azza wa Jal. But here we have an example how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that at the same time Allah Azza wa Jal is also one that is almighty, all-powerful, all-strong, able to have retribution if and when he so pleases subhanahu wa ta'ala. In verse number 5, Allah Azza wa Jal then says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَخْفَى عَلَيْهِ شَيْءٌ فِي الْأَرْضِ وَلَا فِي السَّمَاءِ Nothing on earth or heaven is hidden from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From Allah azza wa jal's complete self-sufficiency and his ability subhanahu wa ta'ala to suffice everything else in existence is what Allah azza wa jal mentions here in verse number 5. And that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge of everything within his dominion. There is nothing that is hidden from Allah azza wa jal. Not even the tiniest of tiniest insects or creatures that are found in the depths of the oceans that are so small that you would need a microscope in order to be able to see them and how they function and how they live and how they survive, that is something which is known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not only known in terms of Allah is aware of its existence, but known in the most intimate of detail. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows everything about that tiniest of creations. The tiniest of thing is not hidden from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those things that we are still discovering, through science and technology, those things that we are still discovering in our natural world with the advances of science and technology that now we can see things that before we weren't able to see or able to witness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already had knowledge of them. An intimate knowledge. Not just that we are aware of their existence and we don't really know how they function or how they survive, but now we're learning bits here and bits there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has intimate knowledge of everything in the heavens and the earth. So why therefore wouldn't you worship the one who has the greatest and most complete of all knowledge. In verse number 6, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues and says, It is he who shapes you all in the womb as he pleases. There is none worthy of worship except him, the Almighty, the All-Wise. So from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's complete qiyumiyyah, his complete self-sufficiency, is that he suffices everything else. And Allah Azza wa Jal here gives us an example. He is the one who shaped you, who fashioned you in the womb of your mothers, as he pleases. Isn't that amazing? That the child in the womb of the mother, or the animal that is in the womb of its parent, of its mother, the way that Allah Azza wa Jal fashions it, the way that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala sustains it, the way that the child that feeds within the womb, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes it to be able to survive, to be able to find nourishment, to be able to excrete, to be able to do all of the functions that allow it to develop 
until the time is ready for it to come out into this world through the process of having been given birth. That is something which Allah does. Look at the way that Allah has shaped us and fashioned us. Doesn't Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, hasn't Allah created us in the best of forms as he mentions elsewhere in the Quran. That we're able to use and command this space, the earth that we live upon in such a way that we can go and create and build and invent and do so many things that we need in order to sustain ourselves and to progress within this dunya. Allah gave us fingers and toes, gave us the ability to stand and walk, gave us the ability to think and to listen and to respond. All of these are from the way that Allah fashioned us in terms of his creation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does as he pleases. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fashioned the mountains and Allah fashioned the, the animals and Allah fashioned the seas and the oceans and the sun and the moon and everything else within the universe. And that is a sign from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a sign that Allah therefore alone is worthy of worship. La ilaha illa huwa al-azizul hakim. None has the right to be worshipped except him, the almighty, the all-wise. In verse number seven, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues and says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse number seven, it is he who has sent down the scripture to you, meaning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Some of its verses are definite in meaning. These are the cornerstone of the scripture and others are ambiguous. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is essentially telling us here that the Quran is made up of two kinds of verses in terms of how clear they are. There are verses of the Quran that are extremely clear. That they are the, and they are the majority of the Quran and the cornerstone as Allah Azza wa Jal tells us of the book of Allah Azza wa Jal, Hunna Ummul Kitab. They are the foundation of the Quran. And those are the verses that all of us know and are not familiar with. So for example, that Allah Azza wa Jal is alone worthy of worship. For example, that there will be a resurrection that there will be a Jannah and a Naar, a paradise and a hellfire. For example, the command to pray and to give zakah and to fast in Ramadan and to perform hajj, the, the command to be good to your parents and to the neighbors, to be merciful to the poor and the, and the orphans and the weak and the needy and so on. These are the majority of the Quran and they are clear verses and they are known and they are understood and they are unambiguous. But then there are verses that are slightly more ambiguous. And what we mean by the word ambiguous is not that they are unknown in terms of their meaning or that we can't understand them or that they're in a foreign language or that these are verses that somehow contradict the verses that are clearer or that there is some problems that we can't really reconcile between. No, that is what the Orientalists, the people who attack Islam, that is what they would take, the meaning that they would take from this verse. But what it actually means is that there are certain verses that are ambiguous in terms of their full reality. The full extent of the reality of the meaning of those verses is something which Allah Azza wa has kept to himself alone subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, when Allah Azza wa speaks about certain aspects of the unseen, about the hereafter, about the paradise and the hellfire, or for example, some of the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we understand their meaning, but in terms of their full reality, 
and the how and how they work, that is something which only Allah Azza wa knows. That is knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept to himself. That is what is meant by the word mutashabih. And the way that it then works is that you take those verses that you're not so clear of or you don't understand the full extent of their reality and you take them back to the verses that are clear. Because those verses that are clear will give you the principles. So for example, if you have one of the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah Azza wa says, for example, in the Quran that he has a face, that he has hands. What is the reality of those hands? What do they look like? How do they work? How do they function? What do they resemble? That is all knowledge that Allah Azza wa has alone. No one knows from his creation. Allah Azza wa didn't give us that knowledge, nor did the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So what do we do? What does the clear verse of the Quran tell us to do? It tells us to believe in this attribute of Allah Azza wa and to accept it for the meaning that it gives, that Allah has hands, for example, or that Allah Azza wa has a face. But to then leave the intricate knowledge of its reality and its how and its function to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. That is the meaning of this verse. And that is why Allah Azza wa says, continuing in this verse, فَمَا الَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ As for those whose hearts are perverse, they are the ones who eagerly pursue the ambiguities in their attempt to make trouble and to pin down a specific meaning of their own. And only Allah Azza wa knows its true meaning. The people whose iman is weak or who have diseases in their heart or who want to pump a certain ideology or a philosophy that they want to support that goes against the pristine and authentic teachings of the Quran and the Sunnah. They are the ones who follow these ambiguous verses. They're the ones who take a verse and they will say, oh, no, that applies to, for example, us being able to go and to kill people en masse. Just go and blow yourself up in the middle of a city or a train or an aeroplane. That's what this verse says. They'll take an ambiguous meaning and they'll run with it. And they won't think to stop and to study and to learn and to take it back to the people of knowledge and to take it back to the clear verses and the principles that they bring. No, they will go with those, as Allah says, in their attempt to make trouble and to pin down a specific meaning of their own. They want it to mean what they, their ideology or their philosophy supports or their desires want, for example. And so that is what Allah warns us against. What do the people of knowledge do? The people upon the Quran and the Sunnah, the people who understand that the knowledge of the book of Allah is something that is taken with its principles from its people of knowledge, from the books of tafsir, understood in the way that it should be understood correctly. They acknowledge that the reality of these things is known only to Allah. That doesn't mean that you don't know the meaning of the word, or that we can't understand the verse, or that those verses can't bring us closer to Allah. We're speaking about the exact reality. For example, the paradise. Paradise Allah describes to us many of its blessings. But can any of us understand its true reality? Then the Prophet said in Jannah is something which no mind can imagine. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. And so therefore its true reality cannot be envisioned, imagined by the human mind. But the concepts we can understand, we can understand that there is a Jannah, that there is reward, that there is peace, that there is happiness, that there is joy, that there are palaces, that there are gardens, that there are rivers. Those are concepts that all of us can understand. But is the palace of Jannah something that you can truly understand its reality? No, because no palace in the world is even anything like or similar to the palaces of Jannah. So what do we say? Its true reality is not only by Allah Azza wa but we believe in the meaning of the verse that Allah Azza wa has given in its apparent meaning. And that is why Allah Azza wa Jalla says, وَالْرَاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ But the people who are firmly grounded in knowledge, what do they say? 
We believe in all that Allah has revealed It is all from our Lord Because there are from the Muslim groups and sects Those who will start to deny certain meanings of the verses of Allah Or distort certain meanings of the verses of the Quran Or reject certain verses of the, meaning of the, of the Quran Because it doesn't, it's not something which they can accept Because it doesn't fit in then with their ideology or their philosophy the people of knowledge, the people of the Quran and the Sunnah, they believe in it all. And they say as for its reality, these issues of the unseen, they are for Allah alone to know. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best how that works. But we believe in all of it and we accept it all. All of it is from our Lord. And only those with real perception will take heed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions to us in the final two verses on this page, Duas that are made by the people of Iman. In verse number eight, Allah Azza wa Jal says, "Rabbana la tuzikulubana ba'da idhadeetana wahablana min ladunka rahma innaka anta alwahhab." Our Lord, do not let our hearts deviate after you have guided us, grant us mercy from you. You are indeed the ever-giving, the bestower. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions then this beautiful dua after we mention the verse and how some people are misguided how some people follow the ambiguous, how people don't go back to true knowledge, and therefore as a result of that, they follow the path of misguidance. Allah then commands us to make this dua. Oh Allah, do not let our hearts deviate after you gave us guidance. Meaning you showed us the path to Islam, you showed us the way of the Prophet you showed us the beauty of the Quran. Now once this has been given to us, oh Allah, don't let us go and make mistakes in terms of the way that the people of the previous nations did when the scriptures came to them, and instead of using them and understanding them in the way that they should, they started to use their own logic, their own principles, their own whims and desires. And because as a result of that, it led them to misguidance. They had scripture, they had revelation, but they were still misguided. So the same can happen to the Muslims when it comes to the Quran, if they're not careful. And so Allah commands us to make this dua. Don't let our hearts be misguided. After guidance came to us, grant us mercy from yourself because guidance is from the greatest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. Indeed, you are the one who bestows. رَبَّنَا إِنَّكَ جَامِعُ النَّاسِ لِيَوْمٍ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يُخْلِفُ الْمِيَعَادِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then tells us in this verse, verse number 9, Our Lord, you will gather all of the people on the day of which there is no doubt. Indeed, Allah azza wa never breaks his promise. And this is from the du'as of the people of knowledge. So the people of knowledge, when it comes to the Qur'an, they say we believe in all of it. All of it is from our Lord, and then these are the du'as that we make. Oh Allah, don't let our hearts be misguided after guidance came to us. Oh Allah, Azza wa Jalla, indeed, you will be the one who will gather us all and resurrect us. So we acknowledge that Allah would hold us to account for our understanding of the Qur'an, for our practice of the Qur'an, for the way that we use the Qur'an in our lives and in our existence. This is something which a person therefore has to be mindful of, that Allah Azza wa Jal will hold us to account and then will reward us or punish us accordingly. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he continuously and always gives us guidance and keeps us steadfast upon this religion. And inshallah ta'ala, with that we come to the end of today's episode. Barakallahu feekum. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyya Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم